3: Can you see it? Did you
1: know this checked with the Puck comes right to Patterson who tries a
3: bank pass for Besser in with the shot is gone. Moment noted. Errons
0: You're listening to Canucks Conversation.
4: Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't I don't <laughs> cover the Canucks. Yeah.
0: I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash.
1: Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. Really? We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. One
3: out Pearl steals cutting in, shoots, scores.
0: Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code HockeySeason, capital H, capital S, all one word, Season at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic on all platforms. They have you covered with your trading card needs, whether that be the Yu-Gi-Oh, the Pokemons. I almost said Pokemon's there, like a real old person. Here we go. Messing up the intros again. I'm not messing up the intro. I'm still crushing this. All the sports cards you need the basketball cards, the football cards, the hockey cards. Magic.
1: You forgot magic. Magic gathering
0: there. There's a lot. There's a lot of cards. If you have any card needs, trading card needs, go check out our friends at Zephyr Epic. Z E P H Y R Epic. Follow them on all platforms. And the best part, folks, you've been waiting for it. On
1: any order over $50. Zephyr Epic ships free Canada wide from from my hometown of Nanaimo all the way to Newmarket Ontario from Nanaimo to Newmarket two
0: generational talents came out of those towns you from Nanaimo yep Connor McDavid from
1: Newmarket there you go there you go and Matthew Wood another guy we saw last weekend we're Coming not getting from to that Nanaimo. on this episode. We're nope. going to get
0: to that in a future episode. Okay,
1: maybe a prospect report on a future episode. Yeah,
0: on a future episode. I'm going
1: to watch him again. I'm going to go see him in Nanaimo
2: later this month. You saw
0: him on Ryan Tattle's huge game. Oh. So. Well, okay, okay. We're not talking Express in the middle of an ad read. No, no, no. We're going to get to this later. Uh, So yes, go check out our friends at Zephyr Epic. Follow them on all social media platforms. We're also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital Ds, all one word, CONVODD, That. We'll get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is David Gujolet. I've had a bunch of coffee today. I am joined, as always, by the man who built the place wearing a vintage Canucks Army hat along with some khaki shorts, Chris Faber.
1: Yeah, I uh, took off my orange Under Armour pullover that I normally wear because I didn't want to be called a traffic cone today.
0: Doing your best impression of a traffic cone, as I always
1: say. Okay, before we get going too far, listen, we're going to get into hockey real quick, I know, but... I want to give a shout out to the reviews on uh, on Apple Podcasts. We're sitting at 199 reviews. Would love to get to 200. If you got an opportunity, do your Apple Podcast, Do the search Canucks conversation. Leave a review. I'd love I'd love to be over 200. So I got to read some quads from the past couple months because we've missed out on a few. This one from bexin 27 It says talk post integration to me. Oh yeah, I like it. You like that? I love that. All right. Uh, I think we've read this one before. Another one from Boxcar. We've Super read it pumped that one. We've had we've, what about come the, on?
0: We don't need to keep reading these. No, but I
1: got the most recent. I don't think we've done this one.
0: Okay, then read it. And this is
1: about the intro. Some okay. people don't like the intro. Some people have left a review saying they do love the intro. Okay, said it's been a minute since I listened to that full intro, but today I let it run and I'm glad I did. God damn. I miss botch. Love the show fellas. And with the addition of harm. Wow, you won't find much better Canucks slash hockey talk than this anywhere. This is from sick of the freeze. Maybe that was uh you know that was us as well when we lost the Mike's hard uh sponsorship. We were sick of the blue freeze. <laughs> I think that might be a reference to the Atlanta Braves uh the freeze that
0: runs during the seventh inning. Okay. Regardless, we have a lot of hockey talk to get to. Chris and we're also joined by Dan Murphy on this episode and folks we want to plug it right off the top. Our Patreon, we finally posted the Edmonton vlog. It will be out very shortly after this episode. I finally put it all together. And a new episode. Came out to be 10 minutes long, and we're going to have a new Patreon episode too. So if you want the bonus content, go hit us up on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Canucks Convo. The 5 and $10 tiers gets you all of the bonus content and greatly
1: helps us. All the money from that... Goes right back into the show. Yeah, right into freaking Harm's pocket for what we got to pay Harm to come on oh these shows. Oh, my gosh. And Harm's living it up in, in New York right On now. our dime. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We're paying for Harm's dinners right now. Well, the Patreon <laughs> folks are. So, yeah. yeah, Harm appreciates all the Patreon folks. Harm has a story for us. Like, he will tell
0: it when he yeah. comes on the podcast. Oh, thing. my. Guy shook Dave Chappelle's hand.
1: Yeah. Yeah unbelievable pretty wild uh story about harm going to a comedy club
0: yeah that's going to be wild we'll get
1: into that uh next time he's here he'll probably be here next friday i guess yeah not this we'll friday because he's too Cause busy living he's got his private jet well, flying yeah. him home every friday he gets a chance he shows up here he's supposed he was supposed to be every second friday yeah and now he's billing me for four shows a month i said how is this happening yeah he's always he was here on a tuesday episode one day he said he was billing us big like big time here yeah and then when we said no he's like my rate's gone up yeah we're like so, whoa, whoa, whoa
0: relax we're listen, sorry
1: i don't know We'll reach out to someone else. We'll see if we can get another contributor. Harm is... Not as nice as he seems. Yeah. All right. Let's not bash Harm too much. He's a good dude.
0: Yeah, he is. All right. Let's go. Hockey talk. There's a lot. There's a lot of hockey talk. So the Canucks, Chris, and we're going to ask Dan Murphy about this when we talk to him later. The Canucks have won five of seven. That's a little disingenuous. They've won five of eight. And in those losses, they have lost in monumental fashion, Chris. I want to ask you about where you think this team is at right now because there's a lot of takes. There's a lot of takes around this team right now. Chris, there's a lot of people saying playoffs. We're only three, five, five points out of the playoffs, whatever it is. We're there. We're right there with these teams. And, you know, even some fans suggesting we're going to leapfrog Vegas. Look how many injuries they have. What's your take on this team right
1: now? Well, I think this team is... So what are they? We're sitting at like 21st, 22nd in the league. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I think it's clear to me that right now, the way this team's playing, they're better than every team underneath them in the standings. I I think that's true. This team is better right now, the way they're playing under Bruce Boudreaux. They're better than everyone underneath them in the standings. They're probably better than a handful to 10 teams ahead of them in the standings as well when they play good under Bruce Boudreaux. And it's a different style of play, man. They are playing much better hockey uh, ever since he's come in. But I don't think that they have the lineup and the roster to beat those top 10 teams in the league. I don't think they have the roster to beat those top 10 teams. And I think Tampa Bay is coming to town here pretty soon. I think before the trade deadline, that's going to be another showing where it's like, if you're going to think that this team can make the playoffs, they need to take care of business, beating every team that's beneath them in the standings, beating most of the teams that are around them in the standings, and then squeezing out some points against the top 10 teams. Like that is the path for them to get to the playoffs. I wrote about it on Canucks army that, they have the 10th easiest schedule for the remainder of the season here. So like there is a route to get to the playoffs. They a lot of teams ahead of them are actually teams that have harder competition for the rest of the season. Like the Canucks still have some easy matchups, a couple against Arizona, some against Buffalo. There is a way for them to go to the playoffs. But the problem just seems to be inconsistency. And listen, some of those games are are, you know, Jaroslav Halak not having great starts. We've seen that over his past couple starts being pulled in both of them. But this team relies so much on Thatcher Demko. But is that the... Like, it's not the worst thing in the world. It just happens to be really good that you have one of the best goalies in the world. Like, they are leaning on him a lot. They might have to lean on him more for, like, back-to-backs as the season goes on here. But at least they have Thatcher Demko. He's still a part of their team. As much as you look around this team and say how, you know, there's certain parts that aren't as strong as other teams around them in the standings or teams that are in wildcard spots the goalie still comes into your team as like part of the group, right? Like it's, a lot of people seem to like separate the two. Like you have the Canucks and then you have Thatcher Demko who carries the Canucks Demko's still part of the Canucks and he is winning them a lot of games, but the in kit, like the inconsistency in the first period is, is definitely like mind boggling from how, how good they can look some games and how bad they can look some games. Was it something about Boudreaux gave the stat today He said, I think in the eight regulation losses, they've allowed 23 goals in the first period, like something like almost three goals per game in the first period against in their eight regulation losses. They just don't need to give like if they give up two or less goals in the first period, they have a chance of winning the game. It's wild to think that that these losses under Boudreaux have been blowouts like all of them have maybe not like final scores, but when you're getting scored three times on average, in the first period of your losses, there is something there about the team just not showing up and being there for that game.
0: Absolutely, and you bring up Jaroslav Halak, story, and we'll get to that soon. Where that is on the agenda to talk about. But you know, we see in that game against Anaheim, like Thatcher Demko is not immune to this either, right? Like we yeah. have seen even Thatcher Demko fall to this. And you know, I know Demko wasn't on his game per se in that game against Anaheim, but we still saw him get shelled for five in the first period and. I, like I tweeted this out at the time. I think I gave the take on the show as well. Like, If you want to know why Thatcher Demko is never actually in the Vesna conversation, he won't be this season. Like, He won't be seriously. He won't be nominated in the top three, even though he's, in my opinion, a top three goalie. Yeah, he'll get league. votes. He'll get he, votes. Won't,
1: he won't be top three.
0: He won't be a top three nominee. And if you want to know why, just look at the defense in front of him.
1: You look and at the Because starts, GMs vote on it. Not, you yes. know, if Kevin Woodley was voting, he might get someone different. But and if me, Kevin Woodley's voting. I'm out. I don't want any part of that. <laughs> Because you give up your PHWA membership. Yeah, I don't want any part of that.
0: Regardless, the team in front of him is flawed. I don't think anybody is trying to pretend that that is not the case. I would kind of look at it in this way, and we're going to talk about Halak, because that's a very important cog in all this, but I kind of look at it and say, if you want to make the playoffs, you're starting Thatcher Demko every game. Like, you are starting him on back-to-backs. You are for lack of a better term, you were Jonas Hillering him, which is exactly what Boudreaux did with Jonas Hiller. He played him, I think it was, what, 37 straight games or something insane like that where he just he didn't get a night off. I think that's what you're doing to Thatcher Demko if you want to make the playoffs, if that's actually what this team thinks they can do, if they still think it's a realistic goal. I would kind of warn against that. Thatcher Demko got hip surgery when he was in his teens. Double right? hip. Double hip surgery. I'm not trying to say that there's a chance he re-aggravates it, but we saw even with Jacob Markstrom, like everybody has a breaking point. I know Thatcher Demko's young. I know that he hasn't come near that breaking point as far as we know. Seldom looks tired, seldom has his details fall off a bit. But like, I've talked to goalies about this. Like I've talked to Canucks legend, Mike McKenna, about this. And he says, like, you know, your details are what you see slip, but he's like, I haven't seen that with Demko. So that he, you know, McKenna even recognized that. There are some guys who just, you don't see their details slip. And maybe Demko's one of those guys. I think we we saw it with Markstrom at certain points. And like, I think you even saw it during his Flames tenure a few times already um, where his details do slip and you can tell that he's going to let in a bad goal at any given moment. But you haven't seen that so much with Demko. So I would say instead of trying to toy with Destiny and say, let's see how close we can get Demko his breaking point. Let's see if Demko does have a breaking point. Instead, the Canucks use a little more caution and just say, okay, you know what? If we make the playoffs, we're matching up against the Colorado Avalanche, what real chance do we have against that team? And they say, we need Demko to be good long-term. We don't need him to go, you know, put everything into the end of this season, have to get some sort of off-season surgery because he pulls a muscle or something happens to Demko. That's the last thing this team needs as they retool towards the future. So, when the management team says we have an eye on the future, I think it's important they communicate that from top to bottom of that organization. They make it clear why Demko shouldn't be starting back-to-back games.
1: So you, you asked Murph this later on. We'll, we'll hear from Murph his answer on this. I'm curious to get your answer then. Was starting Halak the right decision, do you think? Do no. you think that you don't think it was? And here's what I wanted to ask, and I thought you were going to expand on this with Murph a little bit, but I'll get you to. We've heard that Bruce has obviously leaned on Ian Clark for a lot of his goaltending decisions. Is, is, is it something that Ian Clark just doesn't want back-to-back games to happen? Because if you look at the spot that the Canucks are in, these points mean so much. They mean so much. You don't typically start a goaltender back-to-back games.
0: And I'm not reporting anything. I swear this is not coming from anybody like within the organization because every time I say anything about Ian Clark, everybody thinks it's because I'm talking directly to Ian Clark. That is not what's happening. I wonder because Boudreaux said as soon as he got here, when Halak made his first start after Demko had gone, what was it, seven and oh under Boudreaux for yeah. seven straight starts. I believe it was the eighth start that Halak went in. I believe it was against Columbus, and he let in three goals in the first period. Canucks came back, won that game, kept the streak alive for Boudreaux. He was asked about it post-game about the decision to start Halak, and he said that was Clarkie's call, and it was a gutsy call by him. I'm glad it paid off. Now, here's the thing. In Vancouver, it has not always been this way, where the goalie coach is relied upon to make that call. But under Travis Green, Ian Clark was that guy. Obviously, Travis had input, and they made the decision together, obviously. But Ian Clark was relied on heavily to decide the starter. Under Boudreaux, that's been the case so far. I wondered out loud when this game happened, the Columbus game I'm talking about here, if Halak goes in, flubs that game, and loses the winning streak at that time if Boudreaux loses that trust in Clark right away and they have a bad start to their relationship, because remember Ian Clark's here for five years, Boudreaux's is only here for the end of this season and then has an option for next year. So keep that in mind. But this is all just to say that I wonder after these halak starts, especially this last one in New Jersey, if not that Boudreaux is going to not trust Ian Clark anymore, but, I do wonder, again, not reporting anything, wondering out loud if this makes Boudreaux kind of say, "Okay, well, maybe I can take what Ian's saying into consideration, but maybe I need to be making this call myself and it needs to be Demko.
1: Yeah, and I think the way that I would look at it is almost looking at it as you mentioned, like goalie coaches don't make the decision night to night who starts, right? But. Ian Clark also isn't a goalie coach. Like to me, he's a goalie coordinator. I don't know what his actual like role is. What's uh, he's got a title, something different.
0: He's goalie coach, but he's really the director of goaltending. So yeah, like scouting, all that sort of stuff. I would look
1: at it as like a football coordinator, right? Like he is the coordinator of goaltending. He's a goalie coordinator, like an offensive Mm -hmm. coordinator or something. But like, that's the thing. Like, do you think that, we obviously know the past of Boudreaux and everyone brings up the Hiller or whatever. It was like 20, or was it like 32 starts or something? Yeah, it was or, crazy. It was, it was over ridiculous 30. how often he started Jonas Hiller because he was riding a hot streak. I'm wondering, do you think that Boudreaux has evolved in his thought process of starting goaltenders or do you think that this is coming from leaning on Clark more? Or do you think like, do you think Boudreaux wants to, like in his mind, if he's all, if he's not having any input from anyone, is he rolling with Demko? Because Demko's been outstanding. Yeah. Uh, Demko's been like I don't look at the stats for goaltending at all because I don't care. But does is he not been like the best goaltender since Boudreaux taken over? Like he's gotta be near the top of the league.
0: Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the thing is this is all I just wanted to mention as well. That's a dangerous game if it gets to the point. And it's not there yet, I don't think. I don't get that vibe. And again, not reporting anything when I say anything here. I don't get the vibe that it's at that point yet where Boudreau just completely distrusts Clark and isn't going to take in that input because that's a dangerous game, and I think Boudreau knows that because a lot of of people can't look at how a goalie practices and figure out how he's going to play the next day or if he's getting tired or if he's getting fatigued because if you ask the goalie himself, especially if you ask Thatcher Demko, he's going to tell you that he's just fine. You know who can tell when a goalie's details are about to slip or he's on the verge of playing too much and needs a rest? Ian Clark. And let's not forget, Chris, in these games where Thatcher Demko was supposed to get a rest, he hasn't gotten a rest. He's played the freaking games. Like, he had less than 24 hours before stopping National Hockey League shots. Less than 24 hours, Chris. This isn't, and, I, and I'm not including morning skate. I'm not including practice. He was in an NA, two NHL games, two different NHL games, facing NHL shots in a less than 24-hour span. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. And this is when you're supposed to be having a night off. Now, it's a little different if Demko knows he's going in and he's able to get prepared for it. And this is all, again, to say that I don't agree with the decision to pull Halak. If is going to put in Halak for the start and give Demko a night off, you give him that night off. Especially if you know that the implications that are going to happen down the line with the playoffs is that you are probably going to have to play Demko on a lot of back-to-backs. Demko is probably not going to get a lot more rest for the end of the year. I still think that Halak is going to get starts. I don't think it's at that point yet where Demko's starting back-to-back games. Do I think it should be? Yeah, maybe, if you want to make the playoffs, but I also think for the goaltender's sake that you don't do that, and I think is going to kind of keep that in mind when he's making this decision, so it's really hard for me to kind of pinpoint exactly what's going to happen, but I do want to point out that Thatcher Demko hasn't gotten nights off. Like he hasn't had a night off in a long time.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I I had to look up the stats here for Demko since Boudreaux took over. He's third in the NHL at 515 save percentage with a 944 save percentage. And he is number one in the NHL for goals saved above average. Has, since Boudreaux has taken over just at 515, Demko has saved 15 goals that are expected to go in on him. 15 goals he's saved above expected. That's wild because the expected goals against on him is 42 at five on five since Boudreaux has taken over. Like Demko's stats are ridiculous. He's not quite uh, at the Shesterkin level, but Shesterkin has just been wild this year. But Demko has also had more starts than him, more starts than anybody else kind of in the top five for goaltending there. And man, you, you look at these numbers, like I said, a 944 save percentage at five on five. I'm surprised Boudreaux hasn't gone to him in a back-to-back.
0: He's been he's been ridiculously good. He's been ridiculously good. So I'm interested to see kind of how that progresses. And like I said, just to close out the goaltending conversation here, I forgot to hit the intro. What am I doing?
1: Yeah, but this is a big goalie talk for you here.
0: This was a big goalie talk, and I completely missed it. But just to here's,
1: close here's out Here's one last thing. I have heard this from – I believe it was Kevin Woodley who said this. I'll get your goalie talk going here. Is it Was it something that we heard that like Brain Holtby lost like seven pounds of water weight when he played goalie like – and how tough that would be on a goaltender. So I think maybe that be, that might be like the way that sports science is now being used. Obviously, losing seven pounds of water weight in one game is going to affect you the next day quite a bit. So people that just think that you go out there and stop some shots, it's it's really like these goaltenders are are working very hard. But in a game maybe where where Demko doesn't face as many shots, is that when you see him getting the second of a back to back? Yeah. I think so. It's going to take like a first game where it's kind of an easier night on him for him to get the second night.
0: Exactly. You're, you're absolutely right. Like that's exactly what it's going to take because then then,
1: you know what to speak on that, like the goaltending, you watch the way the Canucks played in front of Spencer Martin. I think on the first night of a back to back, you'd expect the players to really show up then and try and make that a possibility, like play as hard as you can. I know that you expect that from players every night, but obviously it doesn't happen. Certain nights, players just happen to give more effort and maybe the players need to be held accountable a little bit, playing in front of him on that first night of a back-to-back as well.
0: So I have a question for you, Chris. Has Thatcher Demko had an easy game this year? (laughs) Has there been (laughs) one game? And and also to add to this, because you you make a great point, but the next Canucks back-to-back is in about two weeks. So we're going to see a heavy dose of Thatcher Demko for the next two weeks. But on the 23rd of March is the first leg of the Canucks next back-to-back. The first game is against Vegas on the 23rd. That's right. And the second one... Is against the Minnesota Wild.
1: And that's right after the trade deadline. I don't see either of those starts being easy. No, but listen. By any means. But if they don't sell at the trade deadline, there's a chance he does get those two starts. If they don't sell at the deadline, they're going for the playoffs.
0: Yep. I, right? I,
1: I fully agree with you. So. I,
0: I, I, I think you might be onto to something. I just don't think it's a good idea at all. Uh, and then the other one, the next back-to-back, starts again in April. Vegas, but then you've got Arizona Arizona. the next night. So you've got Arizona the next night. I'm not going to go through the rest of the season. That
1: stretch right there between those two back-to-backs, that's the toughest stretch for the remainder of the season. Aside from that, it's a pretty easy schedule. If you take that little stretch of those back-to-backs between each other, Mm -hmm. that little stretch of three weeks there, that is the hard part. Before going into it, pretty easy. Aside from like playing Tampa up before the the deadline, you yeah. have a lot of easy teams. 5 of the 9 opponents are bottom 10 teams in the league. And then after those that back-to-back where you face Vegas and Arizona, after that, the final stretch of the season, one of the easiest in the NHL. So if if you can make it through that, like it's too bad that that stretch comes right after the deadline. Because if that was the stretch leading into the deadline, you would really know what this team's all about and what their playoff chances actually are. I don't think you know what the Canucks' playoff chances are. Like if they just keep playing like they're playing right now and like you know winning a a still good amount of games, putting up a lot of points, staying in the race, you're not going to know until that middle of April if you're really contending for a spot or not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Unless
1: you just unless you lose like three games in a row, then they're then they're definitely out of it.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's get to our poll question. And then on the other side, after the poll question, we'll get to Dan Murphy and after a short commercial break. But our episode 242 poll question, folks, brought to you by Atlas Goods, the creators of the pop rinds. These are pork rinds like you've never had before. I tried the bacon. Fantastic. In the air fryer or the microwave, it really doesn't matter. I like the air fryer more, personally. But man, you put some of those uh, in the microwave... On a paper towel. That's what Mm -hmm. I do. Paper towel on the bottom. Paper towel on top. Put them in the microwave with your popcorn setting. Oh, you got a delicious snack. High in protein. Folks, if you're looking for a little bit of a more healthy alternative, go check out Atlas Goods. Keto.
1: Sure. Keto folks out there.
0: Honestly, I don't even know what keto is. I know it's some sort of diet.
1: Yeah. There's like no fat in a keto diet, right? Oh, lots That's of it's... fat in a keto diet. Oh. No carbs, I think. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. They just eat cheese and meat, and here you go. You get your pork rinds, mixed that and in And your there. pork rinds. So go to I Atlas. Saw, you could, I saw a picture. Hold on. Atlas, they post a picture. You can pop a couple of these pork rinds, throw them on top of a soup instead of crackers, too. Oh, interesting. I've seen that on their Instagram. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. So go to atlasgoods.com, atlasgds.com,
0: and use promo code CC, double Cs. 15 to get 15% off your first order. They are the absolute best fresh pork rinds then they come straight from your air fryer or microwave you
1: fantastic and you throw a little kernel seasoning on there that's what i say right there we should get the kernel sponsorship too because you throw a little bit of the white cheddar on there after but listen if you haven't i said it last week i'm gonna say it all the time if you haven't tried fresh pork rinds they're so good like warm it's like like it's just the warm chips pretty it's, much
0: they're they are like it's like nothing you've ever had before and listen
1: like, they they posted something on their instagram that i'm gonna take a little convincing to get to this point but the rumor is this comes there this is from Atlas's Instagram. You can make pork rind nachos, apparently.
0: Oh come all that's, okay. on that's their a face. little too
1: far. I said little listen, too far. Listen, I'll I'm not gonna knock it before I try it. But it's uh it's I believe I saw that on their Instagram the
0: other yes. day. Also send us your photos. I wanna I wanna see people eating they're Atlas goods. They're pop rinds.
1: Final thing. we got to reply to the poll question, which you're going to get to in a second. Yeah, you read that. <laughs> Quad's really got an air fryer adjacent sponsorship. Eh? <laughs> this, is, this is true. Quad's in his air fryer. It was about time. And now he's putting the air fryer to work. All it was right. about time. So go to atlasgds.com. i got to slow down, down with these pro- ads.
0: Use promo code CC fifteen to get
1: fifteen percent off your first order. We told them it was gonna be a thirty second ad, it's turning into a three minute ad yeah. every time
2: here. It's
0: getting more they're getting more than what they uh they, they thought they were getting, all which right. is great. What's so the poll question? Our poll question. Who do you think is most likely to be traded in the next eighteen months? Chris, option one Brock Besser, JT Miller, Bo Horvat, and as always, I'm angry. I know I read that as if it was all option one. Those are four options.
1: Yes, those are four different options. With Brock Besser being the first. Your answer to that. Oh man. I think out of those 3. Here's the thing. I don't think Horvat's getting traded.
0: No. He's I at think, the lowest.
1: I think Hor- I think Horvat is the lowest. I think the people are saying JT Miller. But I think that this organization really likes JT Miller. Yep. And I do question how they look at that in long term because Brock Besser is younger. 4 years from now, what's JT Miller doing? what's four years from now looking like Brock Besser, what he's doing on the ice. I think that there is there is a strong argument to think that Brock Besser, when this team is competing for a Stanley Cup, or at least when you hope they get to that point, is more of a contributor. But man, I don't know, because JT Miller seems like the type of player where age might not hurt him as bad as it does to some players. Yeah. So I, I think the people are saying JT Miller, but I might be in the camp of thinking Brock Besser is the guy that they want to move on from. I
0: also said Brock Besser. And I'll expand here. This organization right now, under a new management regime, headed by Jim Rutherford. Is headed a word? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Spearheaded by Jim Rutherford. I think I should have said headed. Sure. Regardless, Jim Rutherford is at the top. This organization is at a crossroads right now. The move they make right now, and when I say right now, I don't necessarily mean the trade deadline. I also mean the offseason. Because the goal for this management regime, they've communicated it clearly. That's something new for this fan base to chew on. They want to create cap space and they want that cap space for the offseason because Jim Rutherford has said repeatedly that this team isn't good enough. He wants his team to be faster. He doesn't want to be outside of a playoff position when you're completely capped out, unlike the last guy. Jim Rutherford really wants to kind of shift this team around. And also Patrick Alvin. Patrick Alvin's going to play a big part in this, right? Like he's the general manager. He's going to be the guy making those decisions. Jim Rutherford is just going to be there to kind of help him out every step along the way. Both of these guys want a faster team. They want their team to be more competitive. And obviously there's the whole Abbotsford uh, overhaul. And we'll talk about that later. But this team is at a crossroads right now. They want to change the culture of this team, and they need those culture setters. To me, JT Miller is the guy you want. And this organization undervalued, gravely, gravely undervalued the impact that losing Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, Troy Stetcher would have on this organization. Losing all of those guys, and even Tyler Toffoli, you could throw him in there, who, by the way, Tyler Toffoli's got like seven points in seven games, five goals in seven games, playing on the Flames' third line. So... That's a tough one to swallow for all the Canucks fans. We're like, I'm so glad we didn't sign him. Look, he's having such a bad year in Montreal.
1: Hate to say, I told he's you so. Back, baby. He's back. I told you so. We got Regardless, some Toffoli listeners on this show.
0: We do have some Toffoli listeners. The whole Toffoli family listens to the yep. show. <laughs> Regardless, this is all just to say that I look at this team and I say J.C. Miller is a culture setter. He is someone you actually do want on your team, especially given how he's played as of late. He's under contract through next season, so if You know what goes south. You can trade him at next year's trade deadline. There is still time. He's still going to be, you know, he's the top guy on the market right now. He's the Rangers' number one target, but the gap between, and this is from Saravalli. Frank Saravali said this. The gap between the Rangers' first guy, JT Miller, and the second and third guy is ridiculously large, but the Rangers are gearing up to target somebody else because right now, it seems like the Canucks have a very high asking price as they should. They should be in no rush to trade JT Miller. They don't have to trade JT Miller. Again, he's under contract for next season. If a team wants Miller, which the Rangers absolutely do as they should look at their team and look at what they're missing. Adding JT Miller to this team would really put the Rangers over the top. I think, and they're in no rush right now. The Canucks are in no rush, and I think they're communicating that to teams. And I think teams are starting to not move on, but they are starting to look at their second and third options. I think that's what we're seeing a lot of right now, and I think that's why ultimately I don't see JT Miller being the guy that moves. I also see it being Brock Besser, but I would also advise against that. We've talked about this, Chris. We've talked about on the show, just with how poorly Besser's played last year. I don't think you're getting full value for Brock Besser right now, especially with that qualifying offer. Like, it's not all about his play. That qualifying offer matters a lot, folks. Like, if trade, if a team is going to trade for Brock Besser, you're not going to get full value back. You're not going to get the value of a 40-goal score, which is what a lot of people believe that Brock Besser can become. It's what the team acquiring him is going to believe that Brock Besser can become. You can bet bet your house on that.
1: I think the interesting thing and why we made this poll question 18 months probably could have even done it shorter, honestly, and just looked into the off season. I think one of the, one of these three players is going to be moved like by, by not at the deadline, but I think going into the off season, going into the draft, I think that Alvin does really want to clear up some cap space, wants to be able to rebuild certain things. And Rutherford's obviously, obviously has a big hand in that as well as the president, but I can see them finding that being the easiest way to clear up a lot of cap space. There's obviously some harder ways, you know, whether it be JT Miller or whether it be Tyler Myers or Tanner Pearson or some of these other contracts, Jason Dickinson, these guys who are getting paid a good amount of money. Those are potentials to be moved around cap wise as well. But I just think that it's if it's Miller, it's going to be done before the deadline because I think the value... I think the value does like, I don't know if anybody else is, is thinking this as much, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I think the value drops significantly into the off season for Miller. And I've heard a lot of people say it doesn't, but I do really think that two playoff runs of a player making $5 million. And if you were to retain, to retain yeah. any of that and you can get JT Miller for two playoff runs in the fours or the threes, it's massive. The two, I don't like two playoff runs does make a huge difference in my eyes. That I think that the value doesn't like drop to nothing when he goes into the off season. He's still a very valuable piece, but I don't know if you're getting, you know, the the first rounder, the top prospect, the roster player, and another pick in the off season in the same way that you're going to get it at the deadline, which makes it tough because not a lot of teams are willing to do that at the trade deadline. That's, they really think it's a time for them to push. And I think that is how it's gonna happen. I think either that offer comes here for JT Miller and the Canucks say, you know what, this offer's too good to pass down. We're gonna to have to move Miller, but I don't think they want to move Miller. I don't think he's the one that they want to move. You talk about a culture setter. If if they are gonna keep Miller, then one of Besser or Horvat, I think, is gonna be moved. And if you're talking about real culture setters, like if you are gonna keep Miller, Maybe Horvat is the one on the outs. Yeah. Even if he is the captain, but, and I don't know, like, I don't like that. Cause I, I think that, you know, Horvat's a center through and through JT Miller has proved that he can be a center, but is he a center through and through 100% moving forward? Is he the guy that's going to be your number one center of your organization? Like, I like the idea of having Horvat and Petterson be your number one, two center moving forward. JT Miller fits in as a great piece, but I don't know if he's a center when this team is really competitive for the spot. He's probably taking faceoffs and maybe playing with Patterson on the same line, but he doesn't feel like a one C moving forward.
0: Yeah. And he's probably going to get paid like one.
1: What do you think? Do you think how much, like I think I might be wrong here, but I just get the feeling that his value does drop a lot going into the offseason.
0: I don't know if it drops a lot. I really don't. I th- I think his value is going to be similar. I don't think it drops off dramatically. I think maybe you're not getting a roster player back. Like, I think that might be it. Because, obviously, it's really important in midseason to get a roster player back. But I don't think that's going to be the case in the offseason. I don't think it's a dramatic drop-off. I think what kind of what we're hearing from the insiders and just everybody kind of talking to teams and stuff, I think it's going to be similar value
1: regardless. What's, what's Besser's value then? Like, what? Like what is Besser's value at the, at the deadline? For a team to get him for a playoff run and then be able to handle the contract on their own after.
0: I can't think of a comparable. I, I can't think of a comparable off the top of my head. I How much
1: worse is it than Miller's value? At worse, this? absolutely. Obviously worse. worse, but how much worse? No, like it's significantly it's, yeah, worse. It's significantly worse.
0: You're getting a massive, like you just said, you're getting JT Miller for two playoff runs in maybe even the threes or the fours. Regardless, you're getting him in the fives, the low fives. That's valuable, Chris. I like,
1: wonder if the Canucks have floated the idea of retrain, retaining to other teams.
0: Yeah, well, because if, if not, wanna...
1: I, I really think that might be the thing that puts you over the edge to get that amazing package from the Rangers. To exactly. be like, hey, you know what? We're going to hold on to you say one point seven five. Now you have JT Miller for three point five million on your cap. Yeah, for two playoff runs. I think if the Canucks float retaining out there at all, that might be the thing that gets them that perfect. Package and that's the thing that we're that's about.
0: that's why it's so significantly higher than Besser, right? And right. that's why. That's why that's why Miller's being brought up, folks. And you know, we should mention, we should have mentioned this a little earlier. Frank Seravalli of Daily Faceoff, Nation Network employee, said that the market has cooled off on JT Miller, but Brock Besser now finds himself in the top five of Seravali's trade targets.
1: It it only takes one call for JT Miller, though. Yeah, you're right.
0: Exactly. The right call. Exactly. So that was our poll question. I will quickly read off exactly what our listeners said. At the time of this recording, 40% lead the vote with JT Miller. Brock Besser at 36%, so very, very close. close. Bo at 6%, and I'm Angry, 18%. At least five of those 18% came from Canucks players. Right. Being brought up in trade rumors. All right, so go check out Atlas Goods. AtlasGDS.com. Use promo code CC15. Go get yourself some pork rinds. Send us. Some photos of it. Gotta
1: love them pork rinds, baby.
0: Absolutely. All right, we'll cut to break. On the other side, we'll come back, and we will be chatting with Dan Murphy. After that, we're going to close out with a little prospect talk and a little inarticulate Italian noises. Keep it locked. Keep it loaded
1: on Canucks Conversation. And before we go any further into the episode, I want to give a shout-out to Parallel 49 Brewing. You guys can find Parallel 49 Beer all across BC and Alberta. And right now, we want to give a quick shout-out to the Unparalleled Pack, featuring four of the P49 favorites, the Trash Panda, the Filthy Dirty, the Jerkface 9000, and the Hillbilly Ninja. My favorite of the four, there, the Jerkface 9000, the Pink Can. Something good about those cans that are Parallel 49. So go out and try them. You can find them in most liquor stores across B.C. and Alberta. All right. Now joining us from Sportsnet, you see him on the broadcast getting made fun of from Cheech and, and John on multiple occasions. You know him as Dan Murphy. Murph, how you doing, man?
4: I'm doing good. And, you know, that's not fair when they make fun of me. You know why? <laughs> why? Because my mic's already been closed. That's you true. Know, the audio guy has turned off my mic. I've done something, and I've usually made a mistake. And they hammer away at me because I have no way of responding. So I come, can't come back at them. So it's kind of, you know, it's it's juvenile and it's cowardly what they do to me.
0: Murph, we have to I'll ask you, that. what happened on to that Toyota ad, man? Like what what well, went wrong?
4: Listen, I, I'm, I'm not going to throw people under the bus because <laughs> I think it's a collective. It's a collective what you have to do. And sometimes these remote broadcasts uh, can go a little squirrely. And let's just say I don't have a talk back button. And um when gears are changed suddenly uh without me knowing and i have to try to find a promo in 25 sheets of paper while i'm kind of on tv it's not great and then you try to remember what it says it's not great so i just gave up at some point you know i'm fine with that but that was totally my fault and of course those guys don't they don't try me to try to help me never they just want to wait and make fun so i'll take it but yeah that was that was a disaster, and I will I'll own that because I think it was a collective uh, collective error. That's for sure.
0: I think you handled it like a
1: pro, personally. <laughs> yeah, you should see how as many long times as you can make fun
4: that. of yourself. It's fine. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like how many times it takes Quad to do our intro off the top. You would, uh, yeah. I don't know why he can't make fun of you for it all. Hey, Murph, when you guys are. You guys are kind of certain parts getting back to normal, I think, compared to the year before, but what's it been like for you just kind of doing the broadcast? I know at-home games seem to be a lot better than things on the road now, but how has the year kind of been going for you compared to last year with broadcasting?
4: Well, I mean, it started off great, right? We were on the road uh, with the team for the first, uh, I think, two full road trips. Now, we weren't on the charter for the first one because Cheech tested positive as soon as we got to Edmonton, so those close contacts were off. But at least we're in the buildings for those first two road trips. And then uh, Omicron came along and that uh, that messed everything up, especially with the team. You know, at that point they wanted to close quarters and they wanted to keep, uh, uh, you know, a pretty tight bubble. And then they had the taxi squad. So, um, you know, it's been, it was a great start, um, you know, and then it was uh, quickly shifting and transitioning uh, to these remote broadcasts again which are, you know, they're not ideal, obviously. Um, I can understand, though, like just to put it in perspective. So Rogers is a federally regulated company. So their um, protocols are pretty strict. So on a, on a regular road game, if we would be on the road, aside from myself, John and John, you would have a producer and Greg Shannon, uh, director, usually Greg Breckel. You'd have a technical director, you usually have an engineer and you'd have your phone coordinator. Okay, so there's five people that are in the truck. If one of those people down south tested positive, the whole truck's wiped out,
3: mm.
4: right? Because of close contact. So then you have to try to find a way to get five more people from wherever points of Canada back into the states for the next game. And what if it happened again? So it just not become. It, it, it's logistically it's very difficult. Um, so I, I I understand the way it is. And then you throw the the Olympics in so a lot more studio space and production space is being used up for those three weeks. So you have to change gears again of where games are being called. And like, I don't know if you guys knew, but there was a couple times where I was hosting from Rogers arena. The game was wherever and shorty and chief were calling it from, you know, Rogers center, mm-hmm. the baseball diamond. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're scrambling to find uh production studios. So I wouldn't want to be, uh, you know, my direct report on the broadcast side, because I can't imagine the logistical nightmare of trying to plan for Canucks, Oilers, Flames, and Raptors Regionals and working out the studio space and where the hosts are going to be, etc. So I'm sure, uh, uh, you know, if you didn't already have great hair, which you did, uh, there's a lot more and maybe uh, less of it uh, in terms of hair uh, because it's been very difficult. So uh, I know we're back on the road for the St. Louis game at the end of the month. Nice. Um, and I'm back in Toronto for a couple of broadcasts from that road trip too and then we'll see what April's life like. I think I think we're back on the road for the Vegas I think it's Arizona back to back in April so there's not many road games left once we hit April, but it looks like we are going to be back uh, with the team in those situations. So I look forward to it being you know totally back to normal uh, come next
1: season. Some of those broadcasts uh, when you were in Toronto, like how late are you getting out of the studio on some of those nights? Because there was some games, I think, on the West Coast that were being played, but you're back in Toronto. Like We kind of heard uh, John kind of mention it a couple of times on the broadcast, So much being thrown around.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's. it's I think we did the one-off. Uh, Sat and I went out there, the one-off to San Jose in December. Uh, Might have been the 16th in there. So literally, the, you know, the, the broadcast is starting at 10.30. So you're getting back to the hotel at two in the morning. Uh, so those are a little bit late. And that's that's a little bit funky because, you know, I was flying five hours to do a game where the team was flying two hours to be. Um, you know, but I don't mind those, the, the Toronto studios, those games. It looks great. You've got a full complement of audio people, lighting people, camera people that know what they're doing. So, you know, I don't, I, I think those are actually, if you're going to do remotely, I know it sucks flying five hours to be there, but I think the set looks great. Um, and, you know, I, I you might as well make use of it when you can. So I will say that. And it, it kind of reminded me of, like, back in the day we used to do, uh, you know, when Taylor used to do his Sportsnet Connected show out of the Vancouver studios. And, uh, you know, it was a skeleton crew for us out here. There'd be, like, a kind of a producer on the ground. John Kennedy usually was a the guy. There'd be uh, Taylor. You'd have, uh, you know some sort of technical guy, a camera guy. But once in a while, there'd be baseball games before his show. And so like if the Mariners game went into extra innings, so now you're looking, it's already 11 o'clock. The game's still going on. You've got the people in Toronto that are, you know, dealing with a lot of the graphics and the highlights and stuff. And Taylor used to say stuff like, you know, it's going on to the 15th inning. And Taylor would complain to the people in Toronto. He's like, do you guys know how late it is here right now? Meanwhile, the people in Toronto, it's like 2.30 in the morning. They used to tell them to F off at that point.
0: Well, we have to ask you when you have those late nights. Are you still getting the yep. early morning workout in? Because that's some of the best advice I've ever gotten from you. Are you still getting those in?
4: No, because I was usually trying to catch the eight a.m. flight back home, so I was just getting up and going to the airport and getting back here. So, because uh, you know when you're flying back west, uh, you can still pretty much have the whole day, right? You're you're, you're landing at ten a.m. I could be home by eleven, so then you can still work out and, and be with your family and stuff. It's when you're traveling east. It makes it a lot more difficult. So, no, when I was doing those late games, I wouldn't get up and work out. I would just get up and get my bag and head to the airport. But, yeah, so, I mean, the early morning workouts are a game changer, and I think you've you realized that. Absolutely. Once you get it done, you're done.
1: Absolutely. It's the best. All right. Final broadcasting kind of realm question I got from you, Murph. Quads and I had that photo shoot for Sportsnet 650 a little while ago, <laughs> and the confidence that Quads and I had for the rest of the day after putting some makeup on in the morning – like Quads went to the mall, he's wearing a leather jacket, he was flexing it. Can you speak about the confidence that you have with a little bit of the blemishes being covered up from some TV makeup?
4: Well the thing is, so if when I'm in Toronto at the studios, they have a makeup person. Right? So they do it the real way, probably like as you guys found out for those photo shoots. When I'm doing the games in Vancouver, it's up to me. I've got this little case that's got like some powder. And so I don't even know if I'm doing it right. Sometimes I look like a ghost or a mummy, I look so pale. <laughs> So I mean, I, yes, you can cover up the, the the blemishes and the odd, you know, dry skin, but I have no idea what I'm doing compared to the actual makeup people that guys like Friedman and and so they get on a daily basis where they're in Toronto. So uh, you know, it, it's not as glamorous when you're living out here doing it on your own.
0: Yeah, those guys especially. A lot of makeup on those guys. Uh, Okay, let's hop into some some hockey talk here. We want to ask you about the team right now because there's a lot of takes being thrown around, Murph. A lot of takes about this Mm -hmm. team right now. They've won five of their last seven, but every time they lose, it seems like they do it in embarrassing fashion. What do you make of the team right now? Like close to a playoff spot, but also so far away from a Mm -hmm. playoff
4: spot? Well, here's one thing I will say is that everybody's like oh, the starts, you know. What what is it about these starts on the games, like you know, with the last Islanders game and then the Jersey game. There was another game, in there was it, where they were down three nothing in the first period. And they're like, you know, why can't you know why can't they figure out these starts and be prepared? And you know, you know what it is, they're not a great team, guys. They're an inconsistent team that's going to have inconsistent starts. Right, they can't impose their will all, all the time on the other team. That's just the way it is in my mind. Yes, you'd like to think that if they get down a goal or two, there's a little more mental fortitude or toughness to not let it get to three nothing or to five nothing, like in the, the game against the Islanders on home ice. But I just think that like it's it, it, it's it's too simple to say they should be able to figure out these starts. You know, they're an average team, right, in the league. I don't know what they are right now. Twenty first in points percentage. Maybe they're. 22nd i don't even know like they've kind of been in the same spot so i will say that now i also will say i've been impressed with you know what they've been able to do under boudreaux even after the hot start then they kind of won one lost one for a month but to have this little run again uh to at least at least keep the the p word um you know in uh in the conversation, so it's like, I know we all look at the models and whether it's, you know, the athletic or money puck or whatever, you know, people have them anywhere from like 7% to 13%. Like it's, it's not great, you know, one in 10. But, you know, I think, uh, if they've played at a 67%, uh, points clip, uh, since Boudreaux took over and they have to play at 700 from here on in, at least you can say, well, they've kind of done it. So let's keep entertaining this thought. Um, So I have been impressed with the way they have been able to win some of these games uh, against some of the opponents. I mean, it's impossible not to be, uh, you know, super impressed with with Thatcher Demko and what he's able to do on a a night-in and night-out basis. But I just think the team is still a flawed team, right? I mean, that's played pretty well. Maybe they've they've punched above their weight class under Boudreaux. uh, But the fact remains it's a team that, you know, if they squeak into the playoffs uh, they, you know, they could maybe win around, probably not. But after that, you know, I, I wouldn't give them much chance. So um, that's kind of what I make of it. It's it's, a, it's an average, t- it's got some good pieces, but it's still an average team that's flawed.
1: And I think whether you make the playoffs or not with this team, there are going to be changes. You have a new regime in here that definitely wants to get their own fingerprints on what this team's going to look like for next season. And it's funny because there's so much talk, I think, especially over the past couple of weeks here about the culture of this team, the leaders of this team. But is it still more about just the roster construction more than what we've been kind of hearing over the past couple of weeks here? Do you think that the roster is going to see like a serious change now with the new Patrick Alvin regime coming in here?
4: Well, I mean, I, I don't think this management group is under, you know, any disillusion about what this team is. I think they know that the changes have to be made. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much will be made uh, before the deadline. I think they'll probably... Uh, have to figure out exactly what they want to do with Tyler Mott. Um, I'm sure that they have approached the guys with uh, no trade or no movement clauses about what they think. And that would be like, I mean, Halak or say a Pearson. Um, but I'm not sure how much these guys want to move. Uh, but I think there will be changes. And I'm all for uh, making these moves like the major ones in the off season. Um, you know, and, you know, <laughs> We talk so much. I mean, we're already everybody's already traded J.T. Miller to town, but it's it's easy to see why he's the, the, the main piece that people talk about because quite frankly, he's going to fetch the most, right? He's, of the things that the management talks about: cap flexibility, you know, moving forward, prospects or younger players um, and picks. Well, of any one player on the roster aside from the untouchables, he's the guy that's going to garner you the most return. Uh, but I'm fine if they wait until the off season. I, I'm sure that they've looked at all, all the possible t- trade partners for the deadline and who might be in. And I'm sure that they've identified the A-list prospect that they would want, maybe one or two, like, you know, right, here's, here's our first pick, here's our second pick, that they would want from these teams. And if one of these teams come at them with a first-round pick plus the prospect they've identified, whoever that might be, then maybe they pull the trigger now. But I don't think you have to do it until the off season. In fact, I think in the off season that first round pick becomes more valuable. Now you know it's gonna be if it's a contender to late. In the off season, I mean you might get that first round pick from a good team, but you don't know what next season's gonna be like. What if that team goes sideways? What if that becomes a mid first round pick? What if it becomes a lottery pick? So I think that right now the prospect is the front burner piece for any trade involving Canucks. But I think that first-round pick becomes even more valuable in the summer. And maybe you have more teams that have the cap flexibility in the summer to make a move work for one of you know, Vancouver's top-tier players.
0: Murph, if a Canuck is listening to this podcast, they're going to be seething because we're talking about trade talk. There was a report today <laughs> yeah. from Elliot Friedman that the Canucks players are not happy about being in trade rumors and hearing all these trade rumors and all that. What do you make of that? Like, Do they, do they get to do that? Are they allowed to feel well, that
4: way? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure they feel a little, um, you know, the current the, the roster probably feels a little disrespected that people are trading players away, uh, you know, while the team is still pushing for a playoff spot. I mean, just imagine how Travis Green felt when there was a coaching search going on while well, he was still behind the bench. Yeah, right. This is this is the stuff you kind of have to deal with. I, you know, I might be I might be ticked off too if I was JT Miller putting up a point a game uh you know point of game pace for the Vancouver Canuck and and yet people are, are speaking more of the deadline than they are of the playoffs. Uh, but that's the price of business playing in a market like this. Uh, you know, I'm guilty of it. I mean when you have to fill uh, eight minutes of intermission content for every regional home game. Um you know my my rule of thumb a lot of times is what are fans talking about? So you kind of listen to to Sportsnet 650, what do most people want to talk about? Well, I think you have to talk about what the fans are talking about, and the fans are talking about, you know, either uh, let's move some of these guys and look towards the future, or let's hold on to certain players and uh, make a run with it. So uh, while I sympathize, and I, and I said I'm guilty of it, we've we've spent many a segment talking about, um, you know, who who might go and for what. Um, you know, that's playing in Vancouver. And uh, although it's unfortunate and I'm sure it's difficult to block out the noise at times, um, I mean, that's kind of the way it is.
1: And it's going to make for a very interesting trade deadline. We look at kind of the remaining schedule that we have, and we wrote an article about this book Can- on Canucks Army, that they have the 10th easiest schedule uh, for the remainder of the season mm-hmm. here. And going up to the trade deadline, uh, I think yesterday it was, it was five of the nine games are against bottom 10 teams how complicated is that going to make? Because does it is it going to take like a three loss streak for them to really go into trading mode? And they may not have that going up to the trade deadline. Like, I wonder if if a deal comes across the table that maybe isn't the perfect one that you're asking for a guy like JT Miller or potentially Brock Besser. Does it, does it take those losses for you to make that move? Or do you think this management group is already looking down the road more than they are for the hopes for this season? And you mentioned it earlier, like the seven to 12%, whatever it is for the Canucks to make the playoffs yeah. this year. That's not a great percentage, right? So if a deal comes that's near perfect for you, do you think this management group is willing to make it?
4: I think this management group has already probably made up its mind about what it wants to do uh, going into next season. I probably think that um, they, you know, I think they can wait to the offseason. I mean, really only the, the pending UFA is the guys you have to deal with now. And then somewhere you can kind of hope to deal with the rest and some, unless someone really blows the doors off with a proposal. Um, you know, the other thing that, you know, we can't forget is that, um, a guy like Rutherford says you have to, you have to build the right culture. You have to, uh, you know, make the, you know, make the guys feel, um, good about themselves. And this was a, a Emily, uh, Cassidy thing as well, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, give the players, the ability to feel good about themselves in their situation. So part of that is allowing this group that's battled so hard uh, through injury and illness under Boudreaux to stay relevant. And I think that's fair to say it's relevant. Um, then maybe you owe it to them to keep them together. If nothing comes across your, you know, your desk that you really really like, and you know, we've heard about how when you know, Toffoli and Tanev and Markstrom and Stetcher all department in one summer, how that affected the room. And so do you really want to do that again when you're trying to to build this culture? And I hear people say, well, just tell, you know, Pearson that you're going to trade him. That doesn't matter about, you know, it, it's not your no-move clause, so you're not going to honor it. Well, that's not the way you want to do business if you want to make Vancouver destination to play under this management group. So, I think you have to factor that in as well.
1: Absolutely. You mentioned keeping players happy as well. One one interesting spot that Quads and I have talked about on this podcast quite a bit lately is two of the smaller guys in Connor Garland and Niels Huglander. Specifically Huglander, we, we saw the report from Rick Dollywell today that it's expecting to be a scratch for Huglander tomorrow. I'm just curious, with with these two smaller players, do you think that they're really fitting in to Bruce Boudreaux's system? Because Connor Garland drives play at 5-on-5, five five, one of the top scorers at 5-on-5 five five this year doesn't get time on the first power play unit. Niels Huglander, one of the top producers at 5-on-5 five five last year and this year as well, he doesn't get a lot of power play time on either unit. Do you think that there's a little bit of a... I don't really know like the right word to say, but those two players just not really getting the jolt that maybe everyone else has kind of gotten from Boudreaux so far?
4: Well, I mean, let's start with Garland. I mean, he's still being used basically in a top-six role, like, what, 15 minutes of ice time a night with no power play time, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So. He's still getting kind of the minutes you would expect from a guy in a top six role. I think that uh, he's part of a, long, a larger conversation about really trying to find um, what lines make sense, what line makes make sense. And I think they're a bit of flux right now because they only have four centers. So, you know, Miller's got to play in the middle right now, right? So you, you, you're kind of hamstrung a bit with what you're going to do with Pedersen, who's going to be on his wing. I like the fact that Garland is on his wing tomorrow. I don't think they've tried that enough considering these are two guys you have under term moving forward. You want to see if it works. I was surprised to see, and I hope I got this right. I was looking at some numbers. I think Pedersen's most used linemate this year, and you might find this surprising, is Besser. And that would have been all early season on the green, right, yeah. mainly. Yeah. And then it's Garland. And I, I can't remember the last time they played together and they're playing together tomorrow. And then it's uh, Pod Coles and then Hoaglander, who, of course, recently we've seen them play more together. So with Garland, I hope that, you know, they can try to find a way to utilize him um, with Pedersen more. As for Hoaglander, again, looking at the numbers, he is uh, first on the team in expected goals for per 60. He is... 16th on the team and actual goals for per 60. Mm. So, uh, you know, I know his shooting percentage is 7%. I think of, you know, kind of the offensive players on the team, I think only Besser has a worse shooting percentage. So it's clear there's there's a finishing problem here, and we would expect that to progress to the means at some point. Uh, perhaps there's a bit of a, a confidence problem with him. And let's be honest, when coaches, and this was Green and now Boudreaux, uh, mention, uh, defensive deficiencies. We shouldn't roll our eyes and just look to those numbers and say, well, he's first on team and expected goals for Actually, There's clearly something that he's not doing, uh, that the coaches are noticing. And we looked at the second goal in the other game against Jersey where, you know, Myers made the ill advised pass, but he was still expecting the forward to be there to receive it. Right. And Niels was nowhere to be found. So <laughs> I, I really hope that, um, you know, I know they're two smaller players but I don't think anybody would say that those two guys play small, if that makes sense, right? Garland certainly doesn't play small. Hoaglander has always been a guy that has gone to the net hard and plays against, you know, he goes in the corners and he's hard on the wall. So I, I hope they're not throwing the, the, the babies out with the bathwater here, so to speak, because I think that, I personally think that, first off, I don't want to give up on a super young player like, um, like Hoaglander. And I think that Garland can still really be a driver of offense. And I think with the term and the financial commitment uh, to him, I, I really hope both guys are part of the solution moving
1: forward. Got a two-part question here, kind of about the AHL. And that I mean, you mentioned the Huglander trying to gain his confidence. Would the AHL even be something you might want to consider with him?
4: Uh, I guess I, 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 don't, I guess you'd have to know the personality of the player. Mm-hmm. Will that send him deeper into a tailspin? You let him like watch a couple games here, throw him back in. I, I don't sense that hunger as a problem for him. And like again, like I don't know if complacency. You know, I mean, everything came pretty easy for him last year, right? He was a, an excellent player in a rookie season. Uh, I wouldn't think that that would be a tool I would use yet, especially for a team that is, is struggles to score. I think this guy still has a capability, regardless of he's got three goals in the last forty or something like that. I don't even know.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but I suppose that could be something you could use. I just don't know if I would do it at this point.
1: Yeah, I think you know gaining confidence, he's obviously going to look great in the AHL if he does go down there. But it, I, I agree with you where it, it feels like it would hurt it more than anything. But my second part of kind of an AHL question is you have the AHL player in the month in Sheldon Dries, who is a, a center who's played for the Colorado Avalanche, played 40 games a couple seasons ago, uh, killed penalties for that team. And then Sheldon Rempel is another great play driver. We see Phil DiGiuseppe up right now. Do you think we're going to see some integration of some of these AHL players here moving forward?
4: It's a good question. Um, I mean, you guys are certainly uh, more the experts on the of the prospects and the the Abbey Canucks than I am. Um, I was happy to see that you might get a chance. I thought that you know he might get a chance out of training camp. I thought he's quite strong, and mm-hmm. a little surprised we haven't seen more of him. Um, but yeah, certainly, I think if things go a little bit pear shaped here, and the odds go from ten percent to five percent, and you get down to twenty games left um i would like to see i think that this management group would like to see what they have in these guys at the nhl level right give uh them a chance to play see if they are legitimate prospects that you believe can um you know be a part of the nhl group if called upon uh but i, I again i think that's probably something we're not going to know until we get at least you know probably 10 more games into the schedule and pass the trade deadline
0: Murph, before we close out here Decision to start, and then the decision to pull Halak subsequently. What do you think of those two decisions?
4: Uh, I, I kind of. Well, first off, I was a little surprised. Okay, uh, three, I'm going to give you a, 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 you know, an answer here. I was a little surprised that he went with Halak, mm-hmm. given his history in Anaheim and the way he, you know, he kind of rode Hiller, uh, in the ground with I don't know how many consecutive starts there. Uh, now, I understand why, uh, Halak got a start because the last start he had was terrible. And then he came in for half a game. And then if you weren't going to play him again until the next back to back, you were looking at basically, um, you know, six weeks in between starts. And that's not going to give a guy confidence. Uh, now as for pulling him, I don't think, I mean, I think he wanted to wait. I don't think he wanted to pull him when you give your starter a night off. He wants the full night off. But you heard in his comments after he's, it was almost like a mercy pull. He couldn't leave him in there anymore just for Halak's sake, where it became more to protect Halak than it was to protect Demco. That's how bad it was. So it was a kind of a weird night all around. But just given Bruce's history, I thought he might go with Demco. Um, so I was a little surprised he didn't. And, you know, I, I feel bad for Halak with the way it's gone. I mean, in his good starts this season, The team has given him no goal support and his bad starts have been so terrible that you can see it's just clearly eating on the guy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Murph, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, We'll chat soon, my friend. You
4: got it, boys. Have a good one.
0: You as well. And a massive thank you to Dan Murphy of Sportsnet for joining us. Chris, it's been a while since we had a guest
1: on the podcast, but it's a lot of fun. Been a while since we've had Murph on the podcast. I don't think yeah. you and I have ever had him on together. No, I've we have. On, we had him with Cheech,
0: remember? Oh, we that's surprised right. him with or we surprised Cheech <laughs> with Murph. And we were like, Cheech, we've got a surprise for you. Murph's like, don't get your hopes up, Cheech. It's just me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, some we good wanna pandemic episodes, Exactly. Right there. We did have some good pandemic episodes. Anyways, we're already at over an hour, like well over an hour. So we're gonna try to wrap this up quickly here. Uh I've got something to talk about, Chris. And I have a little music Ready to go for this And I must say I find it very fitting Right, folks. I'm going to play it in the background. Cousin Phil, Phil DiGiuseppe, is getting a turn in the Canucks lineup. Well, Took line rushes today, swapping in and out on Elias Pettersson's wing with Connor Garland on the other side. Sorry, he swapped out with Niels Hoglander, yep. I should say. Uh, and it looks like Niels Hoglander will be a healthy scratch. That's not really something to celebrate, but Phil DiGiuseppe getting his shot with the Vancouver Canucks. Friend of the show, friend of mine, Paisano. Phil DiGiuseppe.
1: Yeah, but Niels hogliner has been on the show more than Phil DiGiuseppe has. He
0: has. But only one of them is Italian. That's
1: true. I, I can't hear this because you're the only one who wears headphones while recording. What is the Italian? Well, people know what the Italian national anthem sounds like here, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, you'll know as soon as you listen to this episode. I pictured it as just like in movies when you hear them like going through the streets of Italy. Is that what it sounds like?
0: I mean, it's like chanting. There's a lot of chanting. Okay. This is a choir singing. Yet. They're doing an excellent job i might say yeah this one had uh lyrics on it too it does yeah all right pdg pdg getting a turn i'm gonna turn the what do you call him? a a paisan paisano paisano or paisan paisan works too okay yeah and he's
1: it looks like he's gonna get the chance
0: can you actually talk about
1: something more than just his nationality (laughs) because i haven't watched him play (laughs) yeah no i so phil di giuseppe uh down in abbotsford First of all, he's got 200 plus NHL games. This isn't a guy who is just getting an opportunity after being a lifetime NA or AHLer.
0: And I brought this up. This is the first season, and it looks like he'll slot in tomorrow, so it won't be the first season. But yeah. this up to this point, this was the first season that Phil hadn't played in the NHL. Well,
1: to to add to that, the last seven years he's played at least 20 NHL exactly, games. Exactly, at least 20 NHL games. So this is a guy who is an NHL player. He's going to get a good opportunity here to play, you know, pretty high up a lineup for for a guy who's coming out of the AHL. You don't normally jump off and get into a top nine for the situation. But listen, he has been good. Like he he's been excellent in the AHL. He looks like he doesn't belong when he plays in the AHL. He's a lot better than everyone. He's a lot he he plays tough down in the AHL. He doesn't get pushed around. And I think the difference between. Phil DiGiuseppe being the guy getting called up instead of Sheldon Rempel or Sheldon Dries, who, by the way, Sheldon Dries just scored more goals than he played in this games this month, was the (laughs) AHL player of the month. But DiGiuseppe is not 5'10". DiGiuseppe is not 5'9". He's a bigger-bodied guy. I think that's why he's getting this opportunity, but he is a type of player who can play with some pace and play with some skill and also knows that he needs to be the hungriest player on the ice in this game. He want, he doesn't want to just come up and get a, a game. He wants to get back to that, you know, playing at least 20 games of the, in the NHL every season. He wants to be an NHLer. You know how hungry Phil Giuseppe is to get to the NHL? You hear it when you talk to him out there in Abbotsford. He thinks of himself as a guy who should be in the NHL. He's a guy who can kill penalties. He's done it in the past. Like, There are some real pieces that he can add to an NHL team. And it's a little surprising to me that we have gotten this far into the season and haven't seen him for a game. He was signed. He had a great camp. He's shown well in almost every single game that he's played in the AHL. He probably has the AHL goal of the year this year. It is a little surprising we haven't seen him yet. I'm glad he gets into the lineup. I'm not glad that it's uh that it's for huglander instead of Chase on though i would have I would have thought that Chason would have been the guy drawing out of the lineup for this one
0: yeah i little Mark's I'm not liver.
1: surprised because I, I do think that there are a lot of things that huglander needs to impress Boudreaux with before he becomes a guy that Boudreaux trusts as much as in a strange way like travis green there felt like there was trust there with huglander right yep, yep. It, even in his rookie season it felt like there was trust there. And Boudreaux doesn't seem to have the same trust in Huglander, but that's something he needs to work on. And I know we talked about it with Murph a little bit, that does does the AHL help Huglander at all? Because a lot of people in the replies, uh, whether it be Canucks Army articles or even tweets about Huglander, there are a lot of people mentioning the AHL would help boost his confidence. But I am I said it in the conversation with Murph, and I agree with Murph how he said it. I don't think he's the type of guy who gets a boost of confidence just from going down and putting up a bunch of points in the AHL.
0: A lot of Facebook comments. Mention, the uh, uncles are out there for that, yeah. Well, the uncles him and, and Pedersen to the AHL. Yeah,
1: both of them put them together. Both down those there.
0: Swedes send them down.
1: The worst, yeah. Some like just showing how people don't understand waivers at all was like <laughs> seeing people like, oh, you know, you should send Pedersen down to the AHL. It's like, yeah, so another team can <laughs> yeah, exactly. pick him up.
0: <laughs> Teams like, like, thank you me. very much. Okay, Jeez, that's a fireable geez. offense. Like, oh yeah,
1: for sure. I don't even
0: <laughs> think Jim Betting would accidentally pull that. No, off.
1: no, no. Like, Give Benning some credit there. Yeah. He built a heck of a fourth line.
0: Exactly. It only took him eight years. Yeah. All right. We'll close it out there. Oh, no. Prospect Are you,
1: report. Oh, I've well, well, what do you got I've got, got here? a
0: prospect report. We need some prospect music because now I'm doing the prospect reports. Jeez. Aku Koskenvo, folks. Goal-tending prospect out of Finland. This is ridiculous. 912 save percentage in his last 10 games. He's up to 891 on the season. Had a rough start. After picking up a lot of wins, he does let in a lot of goals on the team he's currently on. Expected to go to Harvard next year, probably going to be backing up Mitchell Gibson next year at Harvard. So we'll see what happens, but again, young prospect Keep an eye on him. I like this goaltender. I've liked him since he was drafted. Nine twelve save percentage well. in his last 10 games.
1: I like him so much that I don't watch any of his games. I watched him today, and I'll tell you, these little things that you keep talking about with post integration and the way that a guy moves, like Koskandvo's big. He's a big body, but I really liked how he was just, like, connecting himself to posts on yep. pucks that were in the corner. He did a really good job. Of I think that's the only thing I really noticed with goaltenders now is, like, how tight they get onto a post under Ian Clark, and how quick they do it without finding it. Right? Yeah. And yeah. he moves like he moves in a similar way to Arter Yeah, He moves in a very, he has a very similar looking body and moves the same way in the crease. And as Selovs does.
0: I've talked to Ian Clark about this earlier in the season. They do video sessions with Koskenvo. It's not yep. like he's just hands off and okay, we'll see you in five years or whatever it is when you come sign a pro contract. Like no, Ian Clark is doing video sessions over zoom with this kid Showing him NHL goaltenders, you know, teaching him how to move, and and again, it's it's still pretty hands off because Ian Clark's not there to actually demonstrate it or anything like that, and it's it's a little tougher. But he's playing a lot of games. Aku is still learning a lot. He's still learning a lot from Ian Clark, and most definitely, that's a good sign.
1: Yeah, no, I I think so too. I'd be interested to see what happens when he gets to uh, North America here at Harvard next year. He's a backup. He might might get like five starts next well, year. Well, you know, get him over here anyways. Get him yeah. into the action. Get him closer to it.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, that's all I got on Prospect Report. All right,
1: Aiden McDonough. Here's the deal. Three weeks from now is when I expect his season to be done. I don't think that Northeastern's going to win the Hockey East and go to the National Championship. They might. There's a, there's a chance that they might, but I think that March 19th will be... March 18th or 19th, depending on what happens with Northeastern. Listen, they could win out. They have the best goalie in NCAA hockey. Devin Levi. If Levi goes on a run, even like watching the other day, they, they lose 1 nothing in a game where Levi stops like 27 of 28 shots. Like he's just unreal every game. He's, it's ridiculous. Like, listen, McDonough's really good. He's like top three in the nation for scoring. Devin Levi is like number one with a bullet and like so much better than every goalie in yeah. the NCAA.
0: Best goalie. Uh, in the 2020 draft class. Yes. Other than Joel Blanc. So
1: he could go on a run with his team. He could, you know, Levi could really carry this Northeastern team to win the hockey's championship, get them into the national championship. But I don't know. Northeastern hasn't won a lot of these big games against big teams. They didn't have a great showing at the bean pot. They just haven't looked like a team that's going to win out the hockey. East. I think they finished fourth um, in the hockey's division this year. So I don't expect them to win. There's a chance, but McDonough, could potentially sign with the Canucks if they are eliminated in the Hockey East tournament, the championship there, on like March 20th. So we're, we're not that far away. We're less than three weeks away from that day potentially coming here. Everything that I've heard around the situation, and I think things can change, and this is how I see it playing out. I don't think a decision has been made from McDonough, but I do think every player around on that team is going to influence the decision. I think if Devin Levi goes pro, that's a big, big knock to the team. I think if you look at their, their captain Harris, if he goes pro, I think he's a Montreal pick Jordan Harris, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Sam Colangelo can go pro. Like if these guys all decide to go pro, I don't think McDonough wants to return back with all these freshmen and sophomore coming in. If these guys stick around, I think that McDonough will end up doing the same. My gut feeling on the situation. And this is, you know, conversations that we've had with McDonough conversations that I've heard from other people around the camp of McDonough conversations with people around the school at Northeastern. I think that that group wants to stay together for one more year at Northeastern and give it a go. Like if Levi's back, they have all the chance in the world to look like one of the top teams and McDonough, likely wants to win with Northeastern. I think that's something that he really wants. And my gut feeling would be that that McDonough doesn't sign this offseason. I would love it if he did. I'd love it if he signed on March 20th and showed up in Abbotsford and just hopped right into a first line or a top six line, was playing with guys like Sheldon Rempel and Sheldon Dries and being another big body scorer, playing on the power play. I'd love all that. I don't know if I'm very confident that McDonough is going to sign and be here in Abbotsford Uh, In the next three weeks, I I personally believe that he is going to go back for his senior year. But the good news is because he so he's an interesting situation about these draft picks and I had to do my CBA diving quads. I was ripping through the CBA and and read some certain things. So he was an overage draft pick, right? McDonough was, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't a 20 year old draft pick. So this is why the effect is a little different because he's in this like weird gray area where Rathbone was able to sign a year before. Uh, coming out of his junior year. Remember, there was a big drama about if Rathbone was going to sign or not. So he was doing that like a year younger than McDonough's situation is. So McDonough will play next year at Northeastern. Well, if he does play next year at Northeastern, doesn't sign this year. The Canucks have McDonough's rights until August 15th. So he does not have the ability to sign with another team after his senior year until the August 15th that is following. So he can't sign anywhere at the end of his season and play in the NHL or the AHL with any team except for the Canucks. So the Canucks have his rights until August 15th, 2023. Hopefully I explained that in a decent way that people understand. You don't have to worry about losing McDonough at the end of his season next year. The date would be August 15th. And if he's out next year, after his senior year in March or April, he's probably going to want to sign and get into pro hockey as soon as possible. He might wait and maybe there's another team that's interested in him. Maybe Minnesota. I don't know, but there's some other teams that could have interest in McDonough, but he probably wants to get to the NHL soon. And he wants to burn off that first year, of the ELC. That's why I think he signs with Vancouver at the end of his senior year next year. But I, that's just the vibe I get. I don't know anything for certain. That's just the feeling that I get with McDonough. I think he's going to go back and I think he's going to sign with the Canucks after next year. All right, which is unfortunate. I want to see him, man. I want to see him out for this year.
3: Yeah, but well, I, I don't think
1: it. it's going to happen. I'd like to see it happen. There's our prospect report. I,
0: I kind of like it when we tag team the prospect report. What
1: are you talking about? I give Koskinenville safe percent. All you did, yeah, all you did was look at the elite pros. I saw you had the pro, elite prospect page up at Koskinenville. You didn't even watch the game today. I did. No, you didn't. Yeah, he's integrating to the post super. Who do you play? Who do you play
0: against? Uh, the team wearing white jerseys. Mmm. Right. Yeah, they
1: were wearing white but you yeah. didn't watch the game that's right I did it was all right, right. you sh- you could have easily as TPS it was a uh, you that was probably Turku
0: TPS Turku I knew that because no, I watched it's the a game. junior team
1: so they're not Turku oh <laughs> but nice try
0: I tried all right as I- you notice I kind of stopped just yelling your prospect report louder like your prospect updates on Twitter I don't do that anymore
1: you well you I might doing- fire it back up you were we'll doing see. it two days ago so no, you haven't like stopped for very long it was
0: like a week Maybe I'll fire back. Oh, no, we'll you
1: literally on Saturday you tweeted about McDonough's hat trick.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, if you keep pissing me off, I'm going to do it again.
1: Uh, I don't think so. You
0: better respect me as a prospect guy. As, no, Murph, no said, piss me off. as Murph said, both of us, both of us, the prospect guys. What, what pissed me us. off is
1: I put the gif of a prospect's goal in, and you put an emoji in more capital letters, and you get more likes. <laughs> For some reason on <laughs> on your stupid updates where you're not even watching the games, you don't have the clips you don't know what's going on i made a mistake you that, created that we, a monster yeah, those few days where i deleted twitter that was a bad and i was text i was giving you prospect updates while well, texting like
0: eating chips watching like the office
1: unbelievable just
0: tweet note updates of the games i wasn't watching all right
1: we got a patreon to do we got a patreon to do hey, quickly Reviews, like I said earlier in the episode, maybe now this is the time because we're wrapping up. 199 reviews on the account. We'd love to get over uh, 200. Yeah, absolutely, and go check
0: out our Patreon, folks. We're gonna have a lot of content going up there uh, in the near future. So Patreon. slash Canucks Convo. Five and ten dollars. Harmon appreciates you. it. Harmon appreciates it. All of the bonus content. Five and ten dollars. Cheers. So for my co-host Chris Faber and for Dan Murphy who joined us on the episode. My name is David Codrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation,
2: delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim?
4: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods,